Hey, well, welcome Blackhawk family. So good to, to just have the chance for us to all be together again. And uh, if you are checking things out for uh, the first time, I haven't had a chance to meet you. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors on staff. We're really glad that you're jumping in with us. Hey, before we really jump into things, I want to share a little story of something that has been going on in my family that has been kind of fun uh, over these last couple of weeks. And that is that my wife, Rachel, uh, became a U.S. citizen. And it was so cool. Now, for some of you, you may know my family. You may have met my wife or have seen her different places. She does not necessarily uh, scream international when you get in touch with her. She... Um, uh, is from England, and her family moved here when she was six weeks old. So <laughs> that kind of gives you the picture right there. Her family, her parents actually moved here to Madison, Wisconsin for her dad to take a position uh, at UW in research, and they just continued to stay. And so for the, the entire time that I've known Rachel, like since we were in college, she has talked about the idea of, you know, becoming a U.S. citizen, but it just never like made the top of the list of the things to do. And then finally, well, it made the top of the list this past year. And she decided this was a journey she wanted to take. So she went ahead, started to jump through all the hoops that you have to in order to become a U.S. citizen. And uh, things kind of slowed down due to the COVID season. But then lo and behold, just a few weeks ago, she got an email saying that it was her time to be sworn in as a U.S. citizen. And so Rachel and I, we made the drive to Milwaukee to the Office of Homeland Security. We put on our best red, white, and blue <laughs> and, uh, and drove there and I dropped her off. I wasn't even allowed to go in. She went in for a ceremony that lasted about a whopping five minutes, uh, social distance from other people. They really try to keep things moving due to COVID season. And that was it. She got her paperwork and is a U.S. citizen. And, uh, and so we, um, we decided to try to make the day really fun, even though we couldn't do the full ceremony and everything there. We actually went to a park in Milwaukee and did just like a makeshift photo shoot for the opportunity. I got this picture of my wife here with her incredible vertical leap. And, uh, and we took a bunch of others. We posted them on social media. By the way, to all of you who like follow us on Instagram and Facebook and commented on the pictures, given Rachel, congratulations. Thanks. So, just thanks so much for doing that. And I, okay, here's the thing. I had always told Rachel, if she became a U.S. citizen, just tried to make this incentive. If she ever like pulled the trigger, I was going to throw her the biggest welcome to America party of all time with like unlimited hot dogs and apple pie and Bruce Springsteen music, you know, all the typical things. And due to COVID, we couldn't really do that. But we actually had some friends that came and like decorated our house to surprise her. We got together with a couple of friends just to celebrate that evening. It was really, really fun. And so all that to mean... For the first time ever, Rachel is going to be voting in this presidential election. On top of that, something else fun that we kind of realized last minute is that actually for both of our daughters in the last four years have now surpassed 18. And so they're both able to vote. So our family has gone from one voter to four voters for this presidential election. So all three other people in my family are getting a chance to vote for the first time. <laughs> and what I think we could all say was potentially the most divisive elections that any of us have ever gone through for a president at the most unique time in any of our lives in human history, any of us have ever been through. 
And, uh, and so, well, I started to think about that. And I began to think about, okay, what, what would God want us to focus on, you know, the Sunday before the Tuesday? Like, what would he want our hearts as a church, as Christ followers, to be fixed on in this time? What, what opportunities would be in front of us? What would, what would he want us to be looking at? And so that's what, that's what I'm hoping we're going to be able to talk through today in this message. This is a short little series that we just started last week that we have been going through with our church called Politics and Faith. We punted away from the I Am series just for a couple weeks. Charles is gonna be picking that up next week, but we figured this could be good for us to be able to talk about politics and faith. And last week, Chris started off helping us to take a look at the politics of Jesus and the style of Jesus. And if you didn't get a chance to hear this message, it was fantastic. If, if you haven't listened to it, you need to go back and listen to that message. And he ended his message taking us through John chapter 13, this particular section of scripture called the Upper Room Discourse, where Jesus is with his disciples the night before he goes to the cross. And, uh, and in that, one of the things that took place that, that Chris showed us is that Jesus, well, uh, he got down and he washed the disciples' feet and then he encouraged them to continue to do that for one another. He talked about the politics and the style of Jesus. Well, this week, what I wanna do is I actually, I just wanna pick up right where Chris left off and, uh, and continue in that same passage. To, today, we are actually going to continue with this idea of the politics and style of Jesus. We are going to be going towards the command of Jesus and the prayer of Jesus. And both of those take place immediately after the foot washing of Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles with you, if you have it on your smartphone or whatever, you can go ahead and turn right now to John chapter 13. That's where we're going to pick up. John chapter 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And then immediately after that, Judas leaves the situation to go and betray Jesus. And then Jesus begins this section of time where, where he begins to teach his disciples. And that goes on for chapters, you know, the rest of 13, 14, 15, 16. And, and in that, he begins in teaching them by taking a look at um, the idea of, of love and what that really means for each other. He, he begins to take a look at verse 34 with me. He says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay, now, Jesus says love one another. That's not a, it's not a shocker. It's not something as a surprise to the disciples, but, but he, he upped the ante on this particular passage. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And notice that he uses the word must there. The other thing to notice is what he says at the beginning, a new command I give you. Think about that for a minute. Not an encouragement, not a suggestion. No, I am commanding you. No, um, well, this is something maybe you should try. I think it will work out well if you gave it a shot in your lives. You get along really well. No, 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 no. He says a new, a new command I give you. You see, when we look at scripture, 
The times that God gave people a command, he would command them in areas in their lives that didn't come naturally for them. You know, because of the brokenness of this world, the sinfulness of this world, he would make commands on people of things that they wouldn't end up doing just naturally. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in this moment. He knows these guys are not just going to naturally love each other. And so he says a new command, I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And he even goes on to tell them why he's making this command. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love each other. In other words, when other people on the outside see the way that you love each other, they're gonna know that you are connected to me. Jesus goes on from there in chapter 13 through 14, 15, 16, teaching and encouraging, answering questions of the disciples. And then he comes to this moment in John chapter 17 where he, he prays. And, and in that prayer, he prays for his disciples. This, this prayer is known as the, uh, the high priestly prayer. Because what, what we see take place here, it's as, if, it's as if Jesus peels back the curtain for just a moment to, to give his disciples the opportunity to see the relationship that he has as, as father and son that Jesus has with his father. He peels back the curtain for them and for all of us reading to get a glimpse of what communication looked like between Jesus and the father. And he says these words. If you go to chapter 17, beginning with verse 11, He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Think about this for a minute. Jesus Jesus prays for his disciples here. This moment in history, This is the last time that Jesus is going to have, that we know of, an extended period of time with his disciples to teach and instruct them. He knows everything that's going to be coming. He knows that in just a few hours, uh, he's going to be arrested, and by 9 a.m., he's going to be on a Roman cross. By 3 p.m., he will be dead. He knows that everything that is going on in the disciples, everything they're going to see, it's gonna be gut-wrenching. And so incredibly confusing. And so he knows that within this moment, there's the opportunity that his disciples could, could, could fragment and splinter off in this particular moment. Everything that he has been teaching them could be, could be lost. And so he prays for them and he prays. He could have prayed for anything. He prays for their unity. That they may be one just as Jesus and the Father or one, in the same way that Jesus is exemplifying that to his disciples through this prayer, he prays that they would be one just as he is one. Because you see, he knows the disciples, they're so different from each other. Like Chris talked about this in his message last week about the difference in the disciples. I, for some reason, I, I didn't always see this, the idea that the disciples might be actually different from each other. I always just saw them as kind of all these guys who followed Jesus. I never thought of the different cultural backgrounds and narratives of their storylines. I mean, you have everyone from Matthew, the, the tax collector, the, the Jewish man who is using the, the Roman government to uh, be able to steal money Money from his own people. You've got that on one side. And then on the other side, you've got Simon the Zealot, the total fanatic. 
you know, who band together with other fanatics in order to look for ways to be able to completely destroy Rome. And you've got everything in between. But like when you look at these two polar opposites, do you think that these two guys saw eye to eye on everything? Do you think when it talks about the disciples arguing with each other, that they were just little menial, you know, trivial arguments they would have? No, these people saw life differently. Jesus saw the difference in his disciples. And so he prays in this moment for, his un- for their unity. He knows, look, he knows that if things go the way they could in these moments, everything could fragment and splinter. They could divide off and everything that Jesus has been setting up could be completely lost. So he prays for them and he prays for their unity. But he doesn't actually just pray for them. He goes on to, to pray for Well, another group as well. Let's go back to the passage for just a minute. Jump to chapter 17, verse 20. As we move down in the prayer, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus goes on to pray for all all followers, everyone, look, who had come to the place of believing that Jesus truly was the son of God. I mean, think about who that was back then from the stories that we've read in the New Testament. I mean, that would be old and young, rich and poor, male and female, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, all of these different types of people from their different backgrounds, different heritage, different views of life, that they might be one just as Jesus is one with the father and the father is one with Jesus. And if you notice here in this passage, this, the word that we want to look at more than anything is this word right here, will. I pray, notice that it doesn't say, I pray also for those who have believed in me or for those who do believe in me. But he says, no, no, no. I pray for those who will believe in me through the message of the disciples. In other words, those who hadn't come to the place yet of accepting Jesus. Anyone who would, person to person, year after year, generation after generation, all the way to you and me in November of 2020 and beyond. (laughs) Old and young, rich and poor, male and female, black, white, Asian, Latino, (laughs) Republican or Democrat, liberal or conservative, that all of us might be one just as he is one. You see, Jesus, Jesus understood that if his followers could avoid being divided and keep from fragmenting off and splintering off in the types of different situations that we get, that, that we get into, that, that in all honesty, if we could do this right, we could, we could show the world something so countercultural Literally, it could change culture itself. It could change the world. If we could just do this thing right, that's the reason why Jesus prayed. He could have prayed for anything. He prays for his followers, for unity. Okay, this should move us to a place of asking a question. It should move us to a place of asking the question, why? Why would this be so important to Jesus? Well, he actually goes on to say that in these next verses. May they also be in us 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. You see, this countercultural thing that people from different ages and stages of life, different types of backgrounds, different types of races, different political stances, that if they could come together and love each other, that would be so countercultural. The people on the outside would see what was going on in the inside and long to be a part of it. And as they became a part of it, they would come to the place of realizing that there is a God in heaven who loves them more than they can understand or imagine. See, the thing that Jesus commanded of his disciples was to love each other. And the prayer that he prayed for them and for us was for unity because he knew that if we got this right, it could change the world. The thing Jesus wanted was for us to be unified. Now, (laughs) what does that look like? You know, what does that look like the the Sunday before the Tuesday, November 2020 in the world that we're living in? Like, what's that supposed to look like? Well, let me tell you a little bit about what I don't think it's supposed to look like, because I'm guessing that there's a crowd right now who, like, when I give this message, you've got some negative vibes going right now on what I'm talking about. And the reason why you have negative vibes is because there are issues going on in the world that you care very deeply about. And I think that, honestly, I think those come from a good place. Like when, when you look at the world, look, you see, you see different inequities and, and immorality and injustices that are taking place in society today, and you feel deep conviction about the brokenness that you see in this world. And your, your desire is to be a part of society that rights those wrongs. And so you could easily hear me right now saying, the thing is Christians that we need to do is just be unified. You know, we just need to lock arms with each other and be happy, clappy Christians, you know, all get in a boat together, sing kumbaya and row in the same direction. And you're like, look, Matt, I don't want to get in a boat and row the boat. I want to rock the boat right now. (laughs) I want you to hear me say, we need people who are going to rock the boat. Look, unity does not mean uniformity. Unity does not mean that we are going to agree on all subjects. Unity doesn't mean that we are gonna see eye to eye on everything. Unity doesn't mean that we give up on our convictions. There, like, <laughs> it doesn't take long for us to talk about there's brokenness and sin in this world and we need Christ followers who step up to the plate to continue to help us see the way that the world needs to be. We need Christians in both parties who care deeply about this world. We need Christians in both parties who move that direction. We need Christians who run for office in both political parties because let's let's be honest, neither party gets everything right. We need people who are willing to move this way, not letting go of their convictions. Okay, so if that's the case, (laughs) again, what does unity look like? Well, like, how do we do it? Well, how, how did the disciples do it? The disciples, they came to a place, though they were different, of being unified. 
when they saw the kingdom of God as the most important thing. When they came to the place of seeing, being, being convinced by Jesus that the kingdom of God was the most important thing, it changed their lives. It became more important to them than any earthly kingdom. It became more important than, than their families of origin. It came, became more important than their career paths. It became more important than their heritage or their tradition. It became more important than the people of Rome or the people of Israel. It became the most important thing. When the kingdom of God became the most important thing, they were able to be unified. The same is true of us today. <laughs> when we become people who are sold out to the idea of the kingdom of God, when we are people that see that the kingdom of God supersedes any other earthly kingdom, we can become people who are unified. It becomes, it supersedes any kingdom, it supersedes any party, it supersedes everything. That's when we can become people who are unified. Because, okay, can we just be honest? We are going to be living in the brokenness of this world for such a short period of time, aren't we? Like, and then we have all eternity after that. Think about that. For those of us who are um, um, American citizens watching this right now, we are going to be living in a democracy for the amount of time that's about a blip on the screen. And then we're going to be living in eternity under a monarchy, under the reign of Jesus. Chris quoted last week, Tony Evans, Dallas pastor, just amazing guy who said that and when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back to take sides. He's coming back to take over. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the perfect king. And we will all be bowing our knee before the perfect king in a monarchy forever. That's the future of where we're headed. And so when we focus on his kingdom, we're people who become unified. Okay. What does that look like practically? You know, what's interesting is um, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul actually wrote some about this subject of unity with um, the church in Ephesus, a church that was very different from one another, the people who were within that church. And he wrote on this idea of unity and he tried to get very practical with his followers. He said this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. What does it look like for us to be people who become completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with each other, in other words, carrying one another's burdens, helping each other in our weaknesses in a loving way? Like, what does it look like for us to, to make every effort in today's day and age, the Sunday before the Tuesday, you know, of this presidential election season where life just feels so divided. What I wanna do, I wanna take the last couple minutes just to get really practical with people on what some of those things are that we could do to make every effort in this particular season. So number one, I wanna encourage you to use a unity filter. And what I mean by that is on any, on, uh, any smartphone, any tablet, any laptop that you use to put on a unity filter. 
<laughs> with everything over these next days that you, that you post, that you tweet, that you comment on, that you place out there, that you email to people, to do it from the perspective of, is what I am sending out, is it moving us towards being divisive or is it moving us towards unity? Is it moving, to, moving us towards loving each other? Is it moving us towards being humble and gentle and patient and loving with one another? Or is it moving us farther away from one another? Just put on a unity filter with everything it is that you put out there. Okay, um, another thing that you can do, number two, admit that you don't know everything. <laughs> Why is that so hard for us to do? Like, I, you know, when, the way that I see people in, in today's day and age, in the midst of politics, is that we're really good at, at listening to people who agree with us, watching the news of people who have the same ideas that we do, reading articles of those who are in our camp. And it can be really easy for us to just kind of stay in our camp and look at the other camp just sort of like they're idiots. You know, what, what does it look like for us to seek to understand? Because I've had so many conversations with people that will start off a, like a comment this way. They'll ask a question, they'll say, I don't understand how someone could vote for that person. I don't understand how someone could believe that's a good policy. I don't understand why people would think that as a country we should move this direction. I don't understand how we could put this person in office. <laughs> See, every time you say that, you're making a statement. And that is that there is something that you don't understand. <laughs> what does it look like for us to be people who step into one another's worlds and just seek to understand? Like just seek to listen to each other. This is so hard. What does it look like for you to, to set up a conversation with someone who you don't agree with political and just politically and just say, just help me, help me understand. And, and in that conversation, again, your goal is to understand because it, I know that when I do this, like I fall prey to it as well. When I'm having a conversation, what am I doing? I, I'm rebutting the person in my mind. I'm refuting their arguments. I'm coming up against them. No, 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 don't, don't do that. Make the goal for you to understand. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with them, but there's something that takes place when we do that. You see, when we move that way, it humanizes issues that we felt really strongly about because we didn't think we knew anyone in them. And it builds something in us um, called compassion. It, it humbles us and allows us to be able to see people rather than issues. There is something powerful about us just being able to seek to understand. It moves us towards Jesus. Okay, another thing that you can do in this season, don't be a sore loser or winner. Okay, now before, hold on, because I know that can sound really, really trite. Let me, let me explain it for just a minute because like we know, okay, this is, this is Sunday, Tuesday's coming and by Tuesday night or <laughs> Wednesday sometime, or sometime in the future when the dust settles, we're going to know who the president is going to be for the next four years. And as the dust settles, in other words, there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. And the, and the ramifications of this are bigger than like the Packers-Vikings game today, winner, loser. You know, the feelings, that everything that's attached to it is way bigger than that. All I'm saying within this is what does it look like for us to understand that in both, with both parties who are running, there are people connected to it 
whose lives are going to be affected. Just for us to remember this, there are lives that are going to be affected by whoever it is that ends up in office because with that person comes laws and policies and just a perspective on humanity that will infiltrate our country in many ways. And so for whoever, whoever is that doesn't end up in office, just know that there are going to be people when they find that out who feel deep grief and sorrow, who feel anger and confusion and frustration and sadness and fear about where we're headed as a country. What does it look like for us just to be people who come alongside those folks and say, I'm here with you. <laughs> and don't quote scripture verses. Don't talk about, well, I guess this was the will of the Lord. Please do not be that person, but just love each other. And that takes us to our last thing. What does it like, look like, not just to walk across the aisle, but to love across the aisle? And what I mean by that is, what is it? I heard a, another pastor out of Atlanta, Andy Stanley, use this line. What are things that we can do in these days? to love unconditionally someone who we disagree with politically? What does it look like just for us to move towards others and to love them well, even though we disagree with them politically? What does it look like to love unconditionally someone who you disagree with politically? You see, because if we do these things, man, we become an image of who Jesus is. You know, there was a story that ran recently in the Wall Street Journal of two different families. Somebody sent it to me in the last couple weeks. It was a fantastic article. You can look at it later. Of, uh, of two different families, the, the Mitchell family and the Gates family. The Mitchell family is a biracial family who votes Democratic, um, falls with the Democratic Party, and then their next door neighbors, the Gates family, who is a white conservative family who uh, they would vote Republican. And these two families living next door to each other have signs for their candidate in their yard. So with the Mitchells, there is a um, Biden-Harris sign. And with the Gates, there is a Trump-Pence sign right in their yards, two people next door to each other. You can imagine what people would expect to see with these two families. But next to their like professional political signs are two homemade signs pointing towards the other house that say, we love them. You see, and this, this article goes on to talk about these two families who have made the decision they're not going to allow politics to be the thing that busts up their friendship and their love for each other. And it goes on to talk about the meals they have together and the way they're raising their kids and their kids spending time. It's fantastic. But do you know what stuck out to me more than anything else about this article? is that a story like that made the freaking Wall Street Journal. I mean, come on. It's like two families are being civil and kind with each other and it makes national news. Like it just gives us an idea and a snapshot of like how low the bar has been set in this world that we live in, in this age of outrage, in this cancel culture, in this world where you disagree with somebody and you just ghost them and move on. Like, do you realize the bar is set so unbelievably low? <laughs> but all of a sudden we see compassion towards each other and it makes national news. You see, I think the Wall Street Journal ran a story like that because they realize that like deep down, people are craving this. See this, this idea of loving each other in spite of our differences. This is the calling of the church family. Like 
Jesus commanded us that we need to love each other. And Jesus' last prayer, his last thing that was on his mind before he went to be arrested into the cross was to pray that his church, though they are different, would love each other deeply. You see, see, because when we do that, in a world that is divided, in a world that is angry, in a world that is frustrated and ready to take each other down, man, we have the opportunity to display to the world who Jesus truly is. So that when people on the outside see the way that we love each other, even though we're different, man, (laughs) well, they long to be a part of it. And in being a part of it, they come to the place of realizing that there is a God who loves them more than they can understand or imagine. You see, if we can get this right, it could change the world. That's the hope of Jesus. And that's the calling of us as the church. So here's what I wanna do for just a couple minutes right now. I, I, I know that for some of you, you used to, I close in prayer right now and then maybe you like turn off and you're done. I'm asking you right now, if you're watching or if you're listening to stay connected in right now because I wanna take a few minutes for all of us to pray together. Now I know that some of you are in watch parties or watching with family, maybe neighbors. And, uh, but I'm gonna ask right now that each of us, we have the chance to be able to just pray individually right now. And I wanna lead us through a few different minutes to pray. These next few minutes could be the most important minutes that we spend together this morning. And so I want to start by leading us in a particular direction as we pray. I want you to take a minute right now, just in the quietness of your own heart, I want you to pray for the things on your heart that are heaviest in this presidential election season. Like what are the issues that are weighing you down? What are the things that are heavy on your heart? Take just a few seconds right now just to be able to pray that direction about those things. up that prayer now I want to move you towards another area to pray I'd like for you to pray for the candidate that you're voting for or that you already have voted for I know about half of us have already voted who's that person I want you to pray for them for their running mate for their spouses and their families that God would be good to them in these days Today we experience the love of Jesus that might transform their lives. those prayers now. Okay, and now I want you to pray the same type of prayer 
for the other candidate, for the other party, the person who didn't get your vote. I want you to pray for them and their running mate, their spouses, their uh, family, the people who are in their party, that God would reveal himself to them, continue to help them to understand the way that they're loved, that it would transform their lives. Pray that direction. up that prayer okay now I want you to take a minute to pray for our country to pray that we would be a country during these days that is able to display humility and gentleness and patience and love with one another we would be people who carry one another's burdens and walk with each other in the midst of our weaknesses that we would be the type of country that displays who God truly is pray that direction. You can finish up those prayers. Lastly, I want you to take a minute to pray for our church, to pray the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, that for all of us, though we are different, that we would have the ability to be one just as Christ and the Father are one.